fact, years ago, I was reading in Psalm 50, in Psalm 50 and Psalm 51, it's jumped off the page at me because it says this. David is speaking, and he said, God's speaking through him, and God said this. He said, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. Now, that, that just leaped off the page at me because, number one, does God get hungry? I mean, I mean, if he's God and he's all-knowing and all-powerful and everything else, does God get hungry? Does God actually need to eat? And then David goes on to say, God declared, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. And that really bugged me because then I want to know how come you won't tell us. That's just how my mind works. Inquisitive minds want to know. And then it dawned on me that it's not that God doesn't get hungry. He does, but he doesn't tell us back in the old covenant, not us now on this side of the cross, is because nobody knew how to feed them because everybody was consumed with God feeding them. People were more consumed with what God can do for them. So I remember in 1992, I was sitting down with a lady who was a mother in the faith to me. She was probably probably one of the greatest teachers of the 20th century, wrote over 20 books, just an incredible woman of God, had like four or five earned doctorates, but then her life got transformed by really having an experience with God. And she said to me one day, she said, you know, I was always told that God doesn't need anything, she said, but God is love. And love cannot be love all by itself without needing recipients to pour love into. You cannot be full of love or love and not have something. It doesn't matter if it's another human or a dog or if you're a cat person because all dogs go to heaven. I don't know about cats. But regardless of how you feel, if you are love, you cannot be love and not need to pour it out. And so God, God is pouring out all this amazing love on his son in eternity past and he creates the angelic host, but he didn't create them in his image and his likeness. They were there ju- to just say, yes, sir. That's all they were there for. They weren't made in the image and likeness of God, and they were not made to, to have a free will. And that's a, a, another discussion I won't get into because people get all these ideas about fallen angels and everything else and its mythology. But regardless of that, angels are there to just say, yes, sir. They're not there to do anything but produce the atmosphere whereby God sits himself. If God, if angels were enough, he wouldn't have needed to create humans. So God in his infinite love said, I, I love my son so much, I need to pour this love into something. And so he creates, creates humanity. He creates Adam and his desire is to walk with Adam in the garden in the cool of the day. Are y'all doing all right? I'm heading somewhere, I promise. As he walks with God in the cool of the day, and then Adam says, I don't want to be alone. Even though Adam wasn't alone, God was still there with him. But he said, I want someone else like me. Because I've received love, I I need to reproduce love because it's always been about love. So God puts him to sleep and takes Eve out of his side. And then the heart of God is, now I want to walk with both of you, and I want to pour my love through you because I do have a need. I have a need to give. I have a need to love. I have a need for what is in me to pour out. It's not that I can't be God all by myself, but it's no fun with just me. 
I want to do something. That's why the scripture says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. How many, how many of you know when you're a kid, you love Christmas, man. You can't have enough gifts. But once you become a parent, it's more fun. And when you become a grandparent, forget about it. Listen, I'm just telling you, you watch a little grandchild. Our eyes get real big, and I got, I got a grandchild every time I walk in the house. Did you bring me a present? Did you bring me a present? Did you bring me a present? You, can, you can't help it. There's just this desire in you that wants to be a blessing because love pours out. It can't stay love by itself. And so all this love God was pouring into Adam and Eve, they, he gave them one thing. He said, I'm pouring myself into you with all you need, but I just, I want you to leave one thing alone. I want you to, I want you to leave... I want you to leave this tree alone and not be consumed with knowledge and wisdom when it comes to my knowledge and wisdom. It's not that God wouldn't have given him knowledge and wisdom in the future because it never says he wouldn't. And so they eat of the tree and Adam and Eve from that time on, God puts them out of the garden, not because he was angry with them, but he was protecting them. Because the greatest sin in the garden is not that they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They never ate of the tree of life. It was about enjoying relationship, and it was about enjoying love. And so what hit me so strong about this passage is it says God has a weakness. And I began to really ponder that. I'm like, God, what what kind of weakness could God have? God is all-knowing. He's all-powerful. God, how can you be weak in any form? But it says the weakness of God is greater than the strength of men. So whatever man thinks is strong, God laughs at. And God says, what you call weak, I call strong. What I call strong, you call weak and vice versa. And I began to, I began to really think about it in this term. About 12, 13 years ago, and man, it might even be 14 years ago. I can't believe it's been that long. It was the first time I went and ministered in Australia. And I had, a, I had a day off in between meetings, and the pastor and I, we went to see Taken. How many of you? Liam Neeson, Taken, the, the classic. I have a specific skill set. <laughs> and no matter what you do, if you choose to do this, I will hunt you down. I will find you. And, and when you're a father that has a daughter, man, that movie fired me up. Because every father's like, don't you touch my baby girl. And I got to see it about three months before everybody in the States because it came out in Australia before it came out in the States. But what's interesting about not only Taken, but if you watch even all three of the Taken movies, or if you watch almost any other type of movie, I mean, I watched the one the other day, I can't remember the name of it, it was Denzel, and he's watching the little boy, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, Denzel gets all fired up and goes and takes out this whole cartel. But you can have someone that is absolutely a hitman, a person that is a mobster, a person that is evil incarnate. And, and they'll, be, they'll be, in a movie, they will be absolutely, the, the, you know, they'll be torturing the guy and they can't get nothing out of him. But then all of a sudden they bring in one of his children. All of a sudden the guy that would not budge, wouldn't tell you an ounce, all of a sudden they start spilling everything they know because all of a sudden they had a weakness. Or sometimes it's like, and I think it was, uh, was it the second taken one where they took his wife 
wasn't the daughter that got taken. It was his wife that got taken. And it was even his ex-wife. And he still, it was this weakness. He still had this love for her. And so he chased the whole situation down and absolutely brought it all back together again. I mean, it's amazing how no matter how many movies you watch, no matter how bad a person is, no matter how tough they are, both and fall apart when you bring up their kids. God has a weakness. And I just dare to declare to you that God's weakness is not much different than ours. Because we all have a weakness for our children. That's a good place for an amen. We all have a weakness. That's why, that's why a mother, no matter how many times that son messes up, she'll continually show up to his incarceration. Standing before the judge, mom will still be there. That's still my baby. I don't care how crazy he is. I don't care how many mistakes he made because I've got a weakness. And my weakness is actually a weakness according to man but not according to God. The weakness is love. The greatest thing that we have, the, the, the weakness of God is greater than the strength of men. That no matter how strong men think they are, that, that, but we live in a culture and in a world where it's the strong that survive. You take it, man. You climb the ladder. But in the kingdom of God, it's, it's when we're weak that we're strong. It, it's when we're really pouring out the love that God has placed in us. That's the real strength of God. And yet the sad thing is, is even a lot of times in the church world, Rather than realize that the weakness of God is humanity. We don't treat people like they're in the image and likeness of God because they look different than us or they're a different color than us or they're a different socioeconomic background than us. And rather than realize that just like as a parent, I remember I, I, I share this story all the time that when, when my daughter, when our daughter Brittany was born, uh, I remember she would be, She'd be in her room in the crib, and I'd get up, and I'd, I'd start to make phone calls and do what I do or my travel, and all of a sudden I'd hear her moving around. I'd go in there, and I'd pick her up, and I'd go in the living room. I'd lay on the couch and just stare at her, and all of a sudden it was 4 o'clock. All of a sudden I got like three or four months behind in a lot of, a lot of what I did because I was just blown away. This came through me and this love. And then when she had a little girl, Lord, she's Nana and I's weakness. That's why right now, even though we live all the way up in Michigan, uh, uh, over the next few months, all of my flying is out of the Louisville airport. Because I'm going to drive six and a half hours down here so Nana can stay with the baby so I can fly to this airport rather than Michigan. Why? Because we got a weakness. She makes us weak in the knees where we're absolutely in love with this little child. We can't help it, but yet God is the same way with us. But for some reason, churchianity and religion has painted this idea that God is this Zeus up in heaven with long beard and lightning bolts, and he's ticked off at humanity. He actually never really liked you. That is why you had preachers for years who preached things like all we are is snow-covered dung. Isn't that nice to know? Don't you know you're just a piece of poo? Or as famous preachers today say, all until you accept Jesus, all you are is just, just garbage. And once you accept Jesus, really all he is is your asbestos suit protecting you from the white, hot, fiery wrath of God. Because God is pretty angry. And we've painted this picture of God. Even though he's a father, he's been ticked off for thousands of years. I mean, he's got some serious anger issues. 
I mean, how many of you, when your kids disobeyed you, did you stay ticked at them forever? Obviously, you don't. Not only that, but why, why would we think that God got angry with Adam and Eve? Let me ask you a question. If someone deceived your child into believing something about themselves and about you that wasn't true, would you be mad at your child or mad at the one who deceived them? See, God's anger was always at sin, death, and the devil. It wasn't about him being angry at his kids because he's got a weakness. He loves humanity. And matter of fact, let me just inform you of something. Whether you've ever prayed a prayer or not, you are a child of God because according to Paul on Mars Hill, standing before nothing but pagans, he says, in him we live and move and have our being for we are all God's offspring. Genos is the Greek word. We're all his children, his family, and his kind. We all carry the image and likeness of God. Every person is valuable. And I'm telling you, you are God's weakness. When you wake up in the morning, he gets weak in the knees. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to know you. He wants you to know him. Every every parent gets this, but for some reason we read passages like, you know, you, you being a parent on this earth, if your child asks for a fish, will you give him a stone? If your child asks for bread, will you give him? How much more the heavenly father? We sing he's a good, good father, but I'm telling you, religion still paints him that he's not really that good because we only get these ideas of he's only good if, and, when, or but. But I'm telling you, God's got this amazing, this amazing weakness for us. Uh, I know it because no matter how good of a father I will ever try to be a nothing compared to him. And when my heart gets weak, every one of us in here know there's people in your life, and a lot of times it's family. It may be a spouse, it may be a child, it may be a mother, a father, a brother, that you put up with stuff from them that you wouldn't put up with from nobody else. There's folks you would have kicked to the curb a long time ago if you weren't related to them. Hmm? Why? Because love, love is a weakness of God, but it is, no matter how strong men are, love wins. The gospel went all over the world, not because the apostles were trying to dominate the earth, it's because all they did was love and serve humanity. It transformed everything because they got a hold of something. I am God's weakness. And let me, let me even share this with you. The, Jesus was the weakness of the Father, and the Father gave up his own son because of his love for all of us. Matter of fact, let me even just uh, read this to you because the Scripture uh, makes it even clearer and even more plain to us. Uh, that makes it even more powerful. Second Corinthians 13, 1 through 4 says this, Christ was crucified in weakness. Love kept him on the cross, not strength and knowledge. The tree on Calvary's hill displayed God's weakness through love before all the universe. And this time, men would eat from the right tree. We live in a culture that detests weakness. Only the strong survive. Don't show your weakness. Yet Paul tells us, I came to you in weakness and fear and trembling, which doesn't mean that he was terrified. That was actually a euphemism in the first century that meant not in my own strength and ability. 
Only in a culture of grace and acceptance can you be okay with weakness. Because pride never lets you know its weaknesses. This is why the wise and prideful will want to punish those that admit their weakness, but there's no punishment in love. The father's weakness was his son. He knew that he had to let him die so the family could be remembered again or put back together because we'd been dismembered for way too long. That is why I believe a beautiful picture of what was going on in the cross is there were three main individuals that were speaking. There was a thief, there was a malefactor, which is a total different Greek word. It wasn't two thieves, it was a thief and a malefactor. Those are two different types of people. And then there was Jesus in the middle. I believe it was a picture, the thief, a picture of Satan who says, if you really are who you say you are, why don't you come down off this cross? And he's accusing him. On the other side, the other side, you've got a picture of Adam and Adam and all of his issues and all of his mess. He says, you be quiet. We deserve to be here, but he doesn't. And Jesus turns to the man. The man says, sir, when you enter your kingdom, would you remember me? He wasn't saying, would you think about me someday? He was saying, listen, I've been dismembered. We, we were at one time a part of this family, but we got dismembered. Humpty Dumpty fell off the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall, and all the king's horses and all the king's men, the law and the prophets, couldn't put him back together again. Only the king can put Humpty Dumpty back together again. So when you enter your kingdom, would you remember me? Would you put me back together again? And Jesus says to him, I tell you today, you shall be with me in paradise. Now, there's no, there's no apostrophes in the original Greek language. So a lot of our translations say, I tell you, to, I tell you comma, today you will be with me in paradise. But he wasn't going to be in paradise for three days. So the comma would have never been able to be before today. Actually, it's like, I tell you today, comma, you will be with me in paradise. In other words, the word paradise, when it gets transliterated, you know what it means? It's translated all the way back to Eden. In other words, I'm going to put you back where we started. I want to put you back in a finished work. I want to put you back where we can walk together and talk together and have fellowship because I've got this incredible weakness, and it seems like weak to you, but it's actually the greatest strength the world has ever known because love, love is real strength. Matter of fact, it's, it's easy. It's easy. Retribution's easy. If someone hits you, hit them back. That's easy. That comes natural. But to love your enemies, that's strength. It doesn't make sense to love someone that hurts you, someone that has harmed you. But that's where when I am weak, he is, he is strong. The good news is the father didn't leave him in the grave, but loved raised him from the dead because the weakness of God is greater than the strength of men. Now let me wind this down with this. God speaks to Abraham one day and he said, I want you to, I want you to give me, give me your son, your only son. In other words, give me your weakness. Give me the one thing that you would have the hardest time giving up. Let's be honest, most of us, we could give up our car, our house, our stuff. But our kids? You know, it bothered me for years that Abraham never argued with him. That, that always bothered me. I mean, like, I mean, if I heard 20 audible voices, 30 prophetic utterances that said, give me your kid to kill, my response would be, nope. I rebuke you, devil, in Jesus' name. 
I mean, that's horrendous to us. Child sacrifice? What? What kind of cra- What kind of vampire am I serving? What is this? But you see, if you understand that Abraham, when he was Abram, he was raised in northern Iraq in, in the Chaldees. He was Mesopotamian, and he was raised in a polytheistic society that their gods all demanded the firstborn children as sacrifices. And so what God was doing is he's showing them, he's like, listen, I want you to do this. And th- there was no question to Abraham. Abraham, well, that's what all the gods asked for. So this Jehovah, he's just like all of these other gods. But while the knife is in the air, God says, stop it. In other words, I'm not like all those other guys. I require obedience, not sacrifice. I don't want you to kill your son. Matter of fact, listen, this is what I'm going to do. Because you were willing to give me your weakness, I'm going to give my weakness for you and as you. I'm going to allow. Not only am I just going to give my son, I'm going to be in my son. And I am the father. The father and the son are going to lay down our life for all of humanity because we see value and worth Because we've got a weakness, man. And our weakness is it doesn't matter what you did last week, what you did last year, what you did in the last decade or 30 years ago. Listen, God's weakness is this incredible love that is passionate towards you, and you can't get away. Listen, you could try to get away from I'm just telling you, I've said this for years, God's a stalker. I'm telling you, he's going to chase you down. He He don't just throw you away. You throw yourself away. We have a hard time seeing God this way because we think we're supposed to be strong. And he's like, I want you to be weak. Because it's in your weakness that you're actually strong. And the weakness is learning how to receive love and how to give love. The weakness of God is greater than the strength of man. I think a beautiful picture. And if you play, Tim. I think amazing, amazing pictures in the New Testament. Jesus starts telling story one day, and he said, there's two brothers. He said, the one brother comes to the other brother, and they both go to the father, and they say, the younger one comes to dad, and he said, I want my inheritance. I understand something. In that culture, when you were saying, I want my inheritance, what you were saying is, dad, I want you dead. I don't care about you. I don't want you. I want you dead. Even though you're still alive, you're dead to me. Give me my stuff. I don't really care about you. But in order for the father to do that in that culture, he had to give the older brother first the double portion, which was the two-thirds inheritance. And so both of the sons, what always bothered me is the older brother never turned it down. The older brother really should have said, no, Dad, listen, you're still here. I, I want you more than your stuff. The younger son then takes his inheritance and he goes and he lives in what the scripture calls riotous living. He goes out and he, he goes crazy. But I want you to notice something. He never stopped being a son. He never stopped being in relationship with the father. He just stopped being in fellowship with the father. The heart of the father was still for a son. How do we know? Because the moment the son left, the father went and got a little calf and he started fattening it up because he was expecting his son to come home someday and after he would have an awakening to his sonship and realize that my father really does love me and it's still better at my daddy's house than all this mess that I've been walking through. So then... The youngest son wakes up in a pig pen, which for a Jew was like the worst of the worst. And they couldn't even be bacon. That's why I couldn't be a Jew. (laughs) 
Got to have me some bacon every once in a while. Hallelujah. Everything tastes better with bacon. I, I've told my wife, you want me to eat vegetables? Wrap them in bacon. I'll eat, I'll eat all kinds of veggies. Just wrap them in bacon. Wakes up in the pig pen, and he says, slaves live better in my dad's house. I'll just go back to my dad's house and be a slave. And he starts heading home, and he starts rehearsing. Well, when I get, when I get close, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to tell my dad this, and I'm going to tell my dad that. And he doesn't even have an opportunity to say nothing to his dad. His dad gets up in the morning like he did every morning, starts feeding that calf and preparing for his son because it was always his son because his son was his weakness. That even though his son was disobeying him, his son was not serving him, walking with him. They were out of fellowship, but the father's heart towards the son never changed. The son's heart towards the father changed. But the heart of the father towards the son never changed. And when he sees his son in the distance, the scripture says that he he, he takes off running. He lifts up his robe and he takes off running. You got to understand the significance of that. In that culture, patriarchs, fathers did not run. Matter of fact, it was undignified for you to run. The only people that ran were soldiers on the way to a battle, or if you were a slave or a servant that were running to get something done. If you were a father, a patriarch, you would you would walk with dignity. You never picked up your robe and took off running. The father didn't care about protocol. All the father knew is my heart has been beating for my son. I've got this weakness. Nothing will satisfy until he's back in my arms. And he runs to the sun, lifts up his skirt. I got a friend preached a sermon years ago called Papa Runs Like a Girl. That God will be willing to be undignified and run like a girl to run and chase you down. He don't care. Why? Because he's crazy in love with his creation. He's got a weakness. The weakness of God is the strength of men. He runs and he embraces his son and he puts a new ring on him. He puts new shoes on him. He gives him a new robe. He lets his son know, you're still my son. You never stop being my son. And my heart has always been beating for you. It's always been the heart of Heavenly Father. God's got the same weakness that every parent does, every spouse does. I would lay down my life for my kids and not even think about it. I fly all over the world, and anytime I get a chance, I want to sit on the exit row because I'm not going to lose my mind when things go crazy. That's what I do for a living. I troubleshoot, and I'm like, they come up and they say, are you willing? Yes. I'm like, I don't want some crazy person here. I want someone that's going to keep their head and be able to help everybody get off the plane. Right? I mean, it's immediately where my mind goes to. I, 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 wanna, I don't mind being that person because it's just something placed in me. No matter what our, what our kids do, it doesn't mean at times we don't give them tough love. It doesn't mean we don't correct them. But our heart always is weak in a beautiful way towards our kids and that's the heavenly father's heart 
towards everyone in here, everyone that will listen to this on the internet or anything else. Man, the weakness of God is greater than the strength of men, and God's heart is so huge towards you. I have people tell me all the time, man, I, I don't think, man, I've, I've messed up too much. It doesn't change God's heart towards you. You don't know what I've been involved in. It doesn't change God's heart towards you. It's still beating passionately to know you. And all he wants us to do is just simply love him in return. It's not deep. It's not about crossing I's and crossing T's and dotting I's. It's not about all the rules that we keep. It's just 